0: You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. The kingdom story we have today describes this ending that, that we see expressed in the present actions of someone like Pope Francis. It is in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. It's on page 807 in here. It's also printed out in your um, worship flyer folder bulletin thing there. So follow along in whichever one you're most comfortable with. Um, We're in a series of sermons on the kingdom. Each uh, Sunday we pray, um, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Remember the next line? On earth as it is in heaven. This is what we're praying into. We're praying into the future we believe in. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That that's the future that's coming towards us, and we want to live towards that future. George has given us three sermons of three different stories in the last week. When Jesus talked about the kingdom, he used stories over and over and over again. And in Matthew's gospel in particular, this story is the one that he gives us just before um, Jesus' betrayal and, and death. It's on page 807. It's from Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. If you're using the Bibles, you'll flip the page. Why don't we stand and, and read this together? It begins with the line, When the Son of Man comes. Listen carefully. We are reading God's holy word. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father. Lord Jesus Christ, our rock and our redeemer, I pray that the words I speak, that the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. Did you hear it in there? This this future kingdom established, the sort that, uh, that Pope Francis believes in that so many of our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters have embodied, have lived out so well? where the least, the weakest, are, are the ones elevated, are the ones cared for, uh, are the ones brought in. There's, a, um, there's an importance in these parables that J- Jesus gives us about the kingdom. And it's not just that they talk about judgment and the justice of God at the end of human history. It's that they clarify for us um, the and make us alert of what matters most In our time, what matters most in our time? What will last going into the next? And this is one of those clarifying parables. It's, it's a tricky parable. And, um, there's a few things this week that I've been wrestling over with it. Um, one thing I've been wrestling over with it is, do we get judged by works at the end of the day? Is this the way it's going to go? Because we've all believed that we are judged by faith, right? That Jesus comes back and we are given eternal life by believing in the son of God. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then the ones who get into eternal life here, it seems, are the ones who did the right thing. And so you think, time out. What is going on with that? So in teasing out that question, let's look for a minute at where Jesus is in this story. In one ways, it's really obvious where Jesus is. In the story, I mean he 's like he just shows up he 's the son of man, he 's the king, he 's the Lord, which is just another way of saying king um, he's he's clearly he's the messiah in this passage, but in another way there's a surprise in this story isn't there they're surprised at where he was hidden they're surprised at where he showed up and, and where he presented himself during life. but in every person's case the the measure of judgment was on their reception or rejection of Jesus. When I uh, lived in Bankery, I lived in this small town in Scotland called Bankery. And uh, a couple of weeks after I moved there, there was a worship gathering. There's about 50, 60, maybe 75. I'm not good at numbers, people in there. And... Uh, so they'd asked me to talk about this parable. I've always struggled with this parable. Every time I talk about this parable, it's a new it's a new battle to, to try and see what God's up to here. And, uh, so this time I said to him, you know what, everybody stand up. And um, all of you who helped me move. Mary Marshall had given me a couch, and Adrian had brought me some linens. I mean, if you helped me move, stand here on my right. Right? Everyone who helped Lori move. You showed up. You brought me food. You stand here on my right. And uh, all of you who did not help me move. You didn't show up. You didn't invite me for dinner. You didn't give me a bed. You didn't give me sheets. You're over here on my left. Right. And literally made them stand up. And the Scottish are so nice. They just do it. Right. They just all stood up and did it. And you know what the people on the left immediately started doing? Protesting. Wait a minute. When did, when we didn't know you needed, we didn't know we would have had you for dinner if we knew you needed food. I had no idea you needed sheets. You know how many sheets I need to get rid of? I mean, there's protests everywhere over here. Right. And, uh, this is, it's a good point. Isn't it? It seems like the point in the in, in Jesus' parable is, you know, at the bare minimum, you should have known this. There are some points in the points of the Bible when over and over God says, you know, you just have to look at creation and you know I'm here. And that's sort of a, a natural standard of judgment. But ever since Jesus took on vulnerable human flesh, there there's another even, even easier bar is how do you simply treat another human being? Who, who can't give a glass of water? Who can't give food? Who can't help with shelter or, or clothes? This isn't, you know, heal all the sick. This is just visit one of them. This, this, this isn't, you know, um, um, take care of, of of poverty and world hunger. This is feed one person for one of the least of these. Jesus says. So, so, there's a new way to receive Jesus. Another thing to notice in here is if you look in verse, um, I think it's 34, look at this. Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. There's two things to notice in that. The first one is they inherit the kingdom. This isn't a reward passage. This isn't you've done it right, this is now your reward. This is still inheriting. Inheriting. And you inherit because someone else did all the work, and after they died, they give it to you. And this is what we believe happened with Jesus for God's creation for humanity, that Jesus took on all the work and died and was raised and has given eternal life. This is what we believe. And then the second thing that's here... It's this invitation, the first word there, come, you that are blessed by my Father. Do you remember, what was the first thing in Matthew's gospel? It's okay if you don't remember this, but just take a guess because of the word I just pointed out. The first thing that Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew. Come. Come. Follow me. Come. This is a discipleship. This is a discipleship invitation. The discipleship we start... In our life here, while we're living and breathing in human flesh, it's a discipleship that we are going to continue into the world and the age to come. And so the sheep in this parable were already, even though they didn't know it, they had no idea. They were all ready, ready to hear that invitation. They were ready to come. They had already received Jesus and had no idea. It's a wonderful surprise. Now, mind you, even saying all of that, I don't think this parable is primarily about what's going to happen to the people in the nations who have not heard about Jesus. I believe it gives us some clues. I believe it, if nothing else, it lets us know that God is going to be so incredibly merciful wherever possible. And God will also be just for those who have simply sought to destroy human life with with no care or thought otherwise. I don't know how God's going to do that. But there is plenty in here for us to see what our part is in it. Because where are we in this? If we're sitting in this room where people who have at least started, you know, checking into or are slightly curious about what it is to follow Jesus, to answer that question, that invitation of his to come. And so the, 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 where we are, it seems to me, in this parable, the first place is we go, we follow where Jesus is. And in this parable, where's Jesus? He's with the least of these. He's with people who need like the very basic human food and shelter and freedom. At the time that Jesus was telling the story, if you were sick or if you were in prison, in either case, you were no longer part of society. You could not interact anymore in society. Um, illness really terrified people. Um, you, you you didn't have your freedom anymore. Is, that's where that's where Jesus is. You know, it's interesting because at one point in here. Jesus says, to the ones who were welcomed in, did you, did you catch, he didn't just say for one of these the least, did you catch what he said at the end of it? Didn't he say, uh, in verse 40, truly I tell you, just as you did it, to one of the least of these who are what? Do you see it in verse 40? Members of my family. Um, that's, when Jesus uses this term to be members of my family, to be, to be a brother or to be a sister in Mark, I mean a Matthew, he only uses it of other disciples. He uses it of people who are already following him. Let me tell you something about Matthew's gospel. Matthew's gospel, um, we can tell from the way it's written that it really is focused on Jewish believers, Jewish disciples of Jesus, uh, who are in a time of some real persecution. And when, Jew, when, when these believers, earlier we can read in Matthew what Jesus expected of these disciples when they followed him out into the nations. Do you remember at the very end of Matthew, in Matthew 28, this isn't the very last thing Jesus says to his disciples. The very last thing in Matthew he says is he says, go, not come, go into all the nations. Did you catch that? It's all the nations in this parable. And it's go into all the nations is his command. Um, baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and, and teaching them to obey, teaching them to listen and follow. Everything I've taught you. And lo, and pay attention to this, Jesus says. Pay attention. I am with you always until when? Even unto the end of the age. Well, now here's a story that these disciples are being reminded of about the end of the age, about what's happening with all the nations and in the meantime, Jesus had told them in Matthew's Gospel, "You go out without extra food. Go out without extra clothes. Go out without knowing where you'll stay. Someone will have to offer you shelter. Go out knowing that your physical life is at risk, your health could be at risk." And, and in Matthew's gospel is the one that speaks about imprisonment, about persecution. This is not a, a powerful church. This is a vulnerable church. These are vulnerable disciples. These are disciples that don't have the very basics. And so what they hear is this, this comfort, this encouragement, that Jesus is so closely associated with them as they go to live out the kingdom in and among the nations, that the way they are treated is the way Jesus is being treated. One of the stories that brings this home to me, has anyone ever read um, The Hiding Place or Tramp for the Lord by Corey Ten yeah? Corrie Ten Boom was a Dutch woman. She lived at the time of the Nazi invasion into the Netherlands. And at the time of the Nazi invasion, when the Jews were beginning to be persecuted, Corrie and her family, her sister and her father and and some and her nephew, I believe, they were very involved in the resistance and hiding Jews. And they paid a price. They so closely identified with the Jews that they paid a high price. All of the Jews that the Ten Boom family hid survived. The Holocaust. Um, the only person from the Ten Boom family to survive the Holocaust, to survive the concentration camps once they were caught, was Corey. And she tells a story about a conversation with her father before um, they were betrayed, and asking her father about hiding the the Jews, and he said, "Well, of course we would do this. The the Jews, they they are the apple of God's eye, and woe to anyone." He said, who who harms or, or seeks to harm the apple of God's eye. And there was a compassion with the way he regarded those who had no idea who they were up against and, and who they were harming uh, when they went after God's people, the Jews. It's a similar dynamic in this passage. Now, there's a second thing, though, that we pick up on this in terms of going to the least of these and and to the, to the others in terms of where we are and who we are as a church. And this is it. I, here's the thing I really struggled with all week long. This was, this was given to a church that was super vulnerable, that was really, that was, that had no power of their own, right? Well, at some point in the Christian tradition, about half of the interpreters who interpret this parable stopped identifying these, the least of these, as in that one verse, as the, as the members of God's family, as, as Christians who were scattered in and among the nations and started identifying as just everybody. This just applies to everybody. Now that's not a bad. I mean, that's still a very good identification because the church throughout the ages has made that identification. It's why the, the Christian church in particular, the Catholic tradition, someone like Mother Teresa has very much looked for Jesus in, in, in the, the, the least of these. But, you know, it's not just this passage where disciples of Jesus are called to go look at the least of these. In fact, if anything, the checklist in this passage is really easy. You should go look at the Sermon on the Mount. For all of us who are disciples, the Sermon on the Mount provokes things like like the song that was sung for us earlier. It isn't just loving the least of these who are really nice. It's loving your enemies. It's going the extra mile. It's, it's in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus looks at his disciples and says, Listen, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, in the last day is going to inherit the kingdom. There are many who'll say to me, didn't we do all these fantastic works in your name? And, and he'll say, I don't even know you. So this is not a new warning for believers in here. Uh, the believe, we've always been expected to do this as believers with the least of these. We've always been called to look for Jesus as the least of these. But why did the church start reading this passage as if we were with the sheep and not the least of these? When did the church start reading this passage as if we were the sheep And not the least of these. I'll tell you when it happened. It happened in modern times. It happened when we became a church that was really well fed, that was well sheltered, that was on the side of the powerful. And so I've been reading this parable this week knowing I'm someone who eats well and drinks well. I'm someone with a house I really like. I'm someone with good health. I'm someone who's not afraid of losing my freedom. I'm not part of the persecuted church. I've got good clothes on my back. I like them the least. And and what do I do when suddenly what I'm supposed to do is radically identify with the least of these, not the sheep? Even in the Jewish tradition, the the way that the Messiah, when the Messiah came, would sort out the sheep from the goats, is how God's people, the self-identified people of God, were treated. But we're in a church, especially here at UPC. I I don't, I don't think we're a church that's regarded as being really poor or in danger, or are unhealthy, we're doing pretty well. It seems to me there's there's a bit of a warning in this parable. And it's a warning about where do you identify and how strongly do you identify yourself there? Where are you looking for the kingdom and expecting the kingdom to meet me in the kingdom? Are you looking for it in the influential, and the powerful, and the people who have it all put together? Are you missing me entirely, Jesus says. Because I've called you to identify with the least of these. Now, there's also not only a warning in this, and the warning in this, we really, I learned a lot from an encyclical of the Roman Catholic Church. I don't know what encyclical means, but it's a long piece of writing. And, um, and they said, watch out. Warning, warning, warning. When you're doing compassion, uh, don't, don't mix up compassion and justice. All justice starts in compassion but to to choose to do compassion when you should be doing justice takes away another person's humanity i'll give you an example during the time that we owned slaves as as the as the white majority in the United States as the Presbyterians in the south, uh, we really fought to keep our slaves and we did a lot of compassion as Presbyterians. We fed people who were enslaved. Uh, Put clothes on their back, you know, worked for good conditions for people who were slaves. What we didn't do was use the power that we had to liberate slaves. This, this parable reminds us, I'm sorry, but that's not where you live, Jesus says. You're my people. You live with the least of these. Identify yourself radically with the enslaved. Identify yourself radically with the people who, who, who need food, who need shelter, who need the basics. And when you do, he says, Oh, oh, it'll blow your mind. It'll open up your eyes. You'll suddenly see where the kingdom is. When I was a kid, my, um, I'm just going to finish with these thoughts. My, my mom one day left in our, did anybody else have a Chevy station wagon with simulated wood paneling? Yeah, totally. I loved it. Did you have the kind where you could sit in the back and look out? Was that not the best? That was my favorite. And um, so she took off in the station wagon. I was paying no attention. I'm like seven or eight or nine. I pay no attention to world events at that point. She came back with seven Vietnamese people. Um, apparently, she was supposed to come back with a family of four. This is when we had the refugee crisis coming out of Vietnam and the boat people. And mom has always been very um, taken with this passage where Jesus says you'll meet me if you do this um and she wanted to she knew they needed shelter and so she wanted to shelter and so she goes and she shows up down in Tacoma to pick these families up and and teen who was the sister in the family of of, of four that she picked up the wife in the family of four and two kids said my brother's here his name is uh Ty he has a, a wife named Bang and a little girl called Zoom and um and I'm not leaving without them and my mom has like five siblings, so she's like, okay, and sticks them all in the station wagon. There's no seatbelt laws. Um, brings them home. I, Dad's never said what he thought of this, but he, he gladly gave up his office, his den. We had one family upstairs, one family downstairs. Those were some of the best years of my growing up. The kingdom moved into our house. That's the only way I know how to describe it. The key, these were incredible people. Oh, and then not only that, but Bang said, you know, Bang had a sister Bean and a brother Chi, and so we went and found them, and they moved in with us, too. And um, gorgeous, gorgeous. Jesus moved into our house. Now, in the traditional thinking, we were taking Jesus to the Vietnamese, but that's just backwards according with this parable. Jesus moved into our house. Bill Robinson, when he was the president of Whitworth in Spokane, said he went to visit a penitentiary in Montana. And the chaplain pulled him aside before he went in and said, Bill, let's get something straight before you go in. If Matthew 25 is true, you are not bringing Jesus to these men. You are meeting Jesus who's already here. When you and I are sent from this place to go live out Jesus' kingdom, we're not taking Jesus to the world here's the good news. Jesus has overcome the world. The end of the story is certain. The kingdom will be established. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess in earth and over the earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord. We don't have to do anything for that. What we do get to do is participate. And we participate by seeking Jesus out and looking for Jesus. And not only that, this is my last thought of the great invitation in this passage. Not only that. But for all of us who struggle and long to know how do we actually share this good news of the gospel with others, this participation with Jesus' mission, with the least, with, with just the basics, with clothing and shelter and freedom, visitation, uh, this participation not only allows us to step out and meet Jesus, we can invite others to do it with us. I know so many people who are just dead cynical of the church, and we deserve it. We've hurt people. Uh, we've, we've misused power. We've, we've, we've done a lot of things that are shameful. But those same people who do not want to come walking into the church, if I'm going someplace to just tangibly, simply low bar shelter or feed, they'll come with. I was on a plane flying, I don't remember where, someplace, someplace into Europe one time, and this kid sitting next to me in his early 20s, I'm old enough now that feels like a kid, I'm sorry, I realized that was just a little pejorative, sitting next to me, and he, you know, first question anybody asks you on a plane, where are you going, second question, what do they ask you, what do you do, I get into faith conversations all the time on the planes because of that question, and uh, except with him, what do you do, I'm a pastor, he goes, I got no time for faith, I'm not even interested, I said, oh, okay, that's cool, where are you going, Calcutta. Guess who he was going to work with? Mother Teresa. He had no idea he'd already taken like the first steps of discipleship. I didn't blow it for him. I figured that was Mother Teresa's job. Isn't this wonderful? I am constantly praying and agonizing, Lord Jesus, how do I invite people? How do I invite people? How do we graciously, in a winsome way, invite other people to experience you and your kingdom? This is a great way to invite people. So for you, if you're someone who's just checking out this faith thing, or it's going great in your head and your heart is not there, you have felt cold for a long time when it comes to faith. Remember the basic steps of the kingdom. Always remember the basic steps of the kingdom. Compassion. Give water. Meet a basic need. Meet a basic need. Meet a basic need looking for Jesus. That's it. Get back there. Don't ever forget it. Amen.